my land and my people, the memoirs of His Holiness the Dalai Lama of Tibet. But at last, about the beginning of the sixth month of the Earth Hair year, corresponding to 1939, the time came for my real journey to begin. The government representatives had not been able to find all the $300 million in cash, but luckily there were some Chinese Muslim merchants who wanted to go to Lhasa as the first stage of their pilgrimage to Mecca, and they agreed to lend the remainder of the money and to be repaid in Lhasa. Then the Chinese governor agreed to let me go on condition that a senior official was left behind as hostage for a set of scriptures written in gold and a complete set of 13 Dalai Lama's clothes, which he claimed should be sent to Kumbum if I safely arrived in Lhasa. This was agreed upon, but I am rather glad to say that after I did reach Lhasa, there was some political trouble in Tokham, and while it was going on, the hostage escaped and also came safely to Lhasa. We set off a week after my fourth birthday on a journey which was to last for three months and thirteen days. It was a sad moment for my parents to leave Takser, their home, their farm and their friends because they still did not know what the future held for us. There were roughly 50 people and 350 horses and mules in the caravan when it started, including the members of the search party, my own family and the party of Muslims on their even longer pilgrimage. My parents brought two of my elder brothers with them, Gyalutandup, who was nine, and Lopsansante, who by then was six. There were no wheeled carts or carriages in Tibet and no roads for them. Samden and I rode on a carriage called a trejam, which is attached to two poles and carried on the back of two mules. On rough and dangerous parts of the track, the members of the search party carried me in turns. Every day we travelled only from dawn till noon, which is the usual practice of journeys in Tibet, and every night we camped in tents because there were very few inhabitations on the route. Indeed, in the early part of our journey, we saw nobody for week after week except a few nomads who came to ask me for my blessing. As soon as I was safely out of the Chinese control, the National Assembly was convened in Lhasa to agree on a proclamation. A detailed report was submitted to the assembly of the visions seen by the regent, the tests which I had stood successfully, and the indications which the 13th Dalai Lama had given of the place where he wanted to be reborn. It was pointed out that the search and investigation was all in accord with the advice of the leading oracles and lamas, and finally the assembly unanimously confirmed that I was the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama and senior officials were dispatched to meet me on the way. We met the first of these officials at the river called Tutopchu when we were almost three months on our way. He had ten men with him and a hundred loads of provisions and also four skin coracles to take us and our provisions across the river. So the caravan began to grow. A few days later, we crossed the pass called Trasanla 
and reached the town of Bumchen, which was 15 days' march from Lhasa. There we were welcomed by another emissary of the government, and he offered me not only scarves, which are the universal symbol of Tibetan greeting, but also the Mende Tensum, a threefold offering of reverence and homage. And it was at this moment that my father and mother first knew for certain that their youngest son was the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama, and they felt great joy and awe and thankfulness, and for the moment, incredulity, the kind of disbelief which often comes with great and happy news. A little farther on, ten stages out from Lhasa, we met a party of about hundred men with many more horses and mules. This was led by a minister of the Tibetan cabinet and included many officials and representatives of Lhasa's three outstanding monasteries, all of whom offered me with the traditional scarves and menditensum. They had brought with them a proclamation declaring me to be the 14th Dalai Lama, which had been issued with the authority of the regent, the cabinet and the National Assembly of Tibet. Then I put off my peasant clothes and was dressed in monastic robes. Ceremonial attendants were put at my service, and henceforth I was carried in a gilded palanquin known to us Tibetans as the Pebjam. From here the procession advanced on an ever grander scale. In every village and town we passed, we encountered procession of lamas and monks carrying emblems and decorations. The people of these places also joined in the procession, while horns and flutes and drums and cymbals sounded, the clouds of smoke rose from incense burners. Everyone, layman or monk, was dressed in his best clothes and welcomed me with folded hands and a happy smile on his face as I passed through the throngs. Looking out from my palanquin, I remember seeing people shedding tears of joy. Music and dancing followed me everywhere. The next important place in our journey was Dum Umatang. There I was received by the regent and the official abbot of Tibet, and we broke our journey and spent three days at the monastery of Rating. But the climax of the official welcome was not reached till we arrived at Dogutang. Here all the remaining senior officials were present to welcome me, the Prime Minister, the members of the cabinet and the leading abbots of the monastery of Tebung, Sera and Ganden, the three pillars of Buddhism in Tibet. I was also welcomed here by Mr. Hugh Richardson, the head of the British mission in Lhasa. We were now very close to Lhasa, and a little farther on, we were met by the representatives of Bhutan, Nepal and China. By now our party was very large, and we marched on in a long procession towards the holy city. On both sides of our route, thousands of monks were lined up in rows with colored banners. Many groups of people were singing songs of welcome and playing musical instruments. The soldiers of all the regiments of the Tibetan army were drawn up to present arms to me. The whole population of Lhasa, men and women, young and old, thronged together in their best clothes, 
to receive and welcome me with homage. As they watched me passing, I could hear them crying, The day of our happiness has come. I felt as if I were in a dream. I felt as if I were in a great park covered with beautiful flowers while soft breezes blew across it and peacocks elegantly danced before me. There was an unforgettable scent of wild flowers and a song of freedom and happiness in the air. I had not recovered from this dream when we reached the city. I was taken to the temple where I bowed humbly before the sacred images. Then the procession went on to the noble Linka, the summer residence of the Dalai Lama, and I was ushered, still dreaming into the splendid apartments of my predecessor. It had been decided to hold the ceremony of sitting Asur soon after my arrival. This was my enthronement on the Lion Throne. The date was the 14th day of the first month of the Iron Dragon year corresponding to the year 1940. It had been fixed by the regent in consultation with the National Assembly according to the advice of the state astrologers. Telegrams had been sent to the government of China, the British government of India, the King of Nepal and the Maharajas of Bhutan and Sikkim to tell them of the date of the enthronement. The ceremony was held in the Sishi Pinso, the hall of all good deeds of the spiritual and temporal worlds, in the eastern part of the Patala Palace. Here had gathered the diplomatic representatives of the neighboring countries, officials of the Tibetan government, both lay and monastic, incarnate lamas, abbots and assistant abbots of the three monasteries of Depung, Sera and Gandhin, and the members of my family. As I entered the hall, I was attended by the regent, who was my senior tutor, and by my junior tutor, members of the cabinet, the chief official abbot, and the senior chamberlain. There were also in attendance the master of robes, the master of religious ceremonies, and the master of table, and others representing the ancient regions of Tibet. The entire company rose as I entered, and I was escorted to the Lion Throne by the Chief Abbot and the senior member of the cabinet, while the senior chamberlain led the procession. The sanctuary, the Lion Throne, was built in accordance with the instructions of Tibetan scriptures. It was square and made of gilded wood, supported by eight lions, two at each corner, also carved in wood. It had five square cushions on it, each covered in brocade of a different color, so that its height was six or seven feet. A table in front of it carried all the seals of the office of the Dalai Lama. The ceremony began with the chanting of special prayers by a group of the monks who lived in the Potala and were specially charged with attendance on the Dalai Lama at all religious ceremonies. They also offered symbols of auspiciousness, chanting prayers, indicating their significance. Then the regent came forward and presented the Mende Tensum to me. The essence of this was three symbolic offerings. A golden image of the Buddha of the eternal life, a book of scriptures concerning this Buddha, and a small chute 
a miniature of the traditional type of memorial familiar to travelers in Tibet. They signified an appeal to me to live a long life, to expound our religion and to have thoughts like those of the Buddhas. Then the regent, my junior tutor, and the prime minister presented scarves to me. I blessed the regent and my tutor by touching their foreheads with mine. The prime minister, who was a layman, I blessed by touching his head with both hands. Then the senior chamberlain led a procession of retainers bringing me troma, a sweet-tasting herb, in a small cup and saucer both made of gold. Then troma was offered by other retainers to everybody present in the hall. The presentation of troma forms part of every ceremony in Tibet. It is a symbol of good luck. This is followed by a ceremony in which tea was offered first to me and then to all the other people, and next sweetened rice was presented. While these ceremonial presentations were going on, two scholars from the monasteries were debating on fundamental questions of religion. When this ended, a group of boys gave a performance of mime accompanied by music. Then again came the debate on religious questions, and while the debate was proceeding, an offering of fruit both fresh and dried, and the Tibetan cakes, known as kapse, was arranged in the body of the hall. Then the regent offered the Mende Tensum on behalf of the government of Tibet. This was an elaborate emblem of the universe, held on one side by a member of the cabinet and on the other by an official abbot. The regent explained the significance of the offering and declared that after a long search in consultation with the oracles and high lamas, I was being installed by the government and the people of Tibet as the spiritual and temporal ruler of the state. Finally, he appealed to me to decide to live a long life for the prosperity of the people of Tibet and the propagation of religion. Then followed a long procession of officials both lay and monastic, carrying gifts to me from the government of Tibet. There was first the presentation of the golden wheel and a white conch, the symbols of spiritual and temporal power. Then came eight symbols of prosperity, happiness, and seven symbols of royalty. The procession ended with an array of other gifts. It was then my turn to bless the assembly. First, the officials of the Tibetan government were blessed in the spiritual manner. The foreign representatives followed and presented scarf to me. These were personally returned by me to the representatives of the highest ranks and to the others by the chamberlain. Various kinds of fruit which had previously been placed before me in the body of the hall were now offered to me and then distributed among the others present in the hall. Another performance of mime followed. Then came a procession of people wearing masks and robes representing the gods and goddesses of the oceans and the heavens, chanting songs in praise of our country. Then followed four masked dancers representing the ancient Indian Acharyas and two monk officials reciting accounts of the good years in the history of Tibet and its religion. 
Then there was another performance of mime. The ceremony ended with a recital by two monks of verses they had composed, praying for the long life of the Dalai Lama, the victory of religion throughout the world, and the peace and prosperity of all beings under the authority of the Dalai Lama's government. I conferred special blessings on those two monk scholars and gave them scarves in appreciation of their verses. This brought the ceremony to an end. It had been long and I am told that everybody present had been delighted to see how, although young, I had been able to play my part with suitable dignity and composure. After it, I proceeded to the Pinso Dukel, the chamber of the good deeds of desire. Here, all the officials who had accompanied me to the hall where the enthronement had taken place were again in attendance. All the seals of my office were presented to me and there followed my first symbolic act of sovereignty. I fixed the seals on documents conveying orders to monasteries. Thus, when I was four and a half years old, I was formally recognized as the 14th Dalai Lama, the spiritual and temporal ruler of Tibet. To all Tibetans, the future seemed happy and secure.